Would you please stand with us as we read from Scripture? Our Scripture reading this morning is from Luke 11, verses 29 to 36. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Thank you may you be so seated. much, Joe and Becky, for your faithful service, and it's fun to continue on that. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Brian Patchinger. I'm the associate pastor here, and I want to talk a little bit about the idea that seeing isn't everything. You know, humans throughout all of history have tried to understand their place in this world. We've tried to understand uh, why we're here, and as modern people, it's really important to think through this question, and not just to think through it, but how we think through it is really important. Traditionally, uh, honestly, we've not done well at, uh, at trying to answer this question, even when things are right before our eyes, right? We have difficulty, even when it's staring us clear in the face. Uh, I, I think as humans, uh, three things. We're more likely to see what we believe than to believe what we see. Aren't we at times? Did you know that there's algorithms, you know, like that for social media that are like trying to push information to you and because it's information that you already believe and already affirm and so they're trying to give you some more of it because they're like, yeah, oh, that's the truth, of course, you know? Um, two, uh, I, I love brain science and one of the things about our brains is that, you know, I'm told from people much smarter than me that with all of the neurons and senses in our body, we're trying to process about 11 million bytes a second of information. And do you want to know how much we consciously can process? About 50. That's some kind of compression for you computer people. Uh, that, it, it's, it's amazing. And so, you know, we're constantly taking in information, but we're, we're fragile. We only have so much information that we can deal with at a given time. And thirdly, you know, we're, we're often influenced by others, by the people that are around us, and then we can never really have an opinion of our own because we're so influenced by those people around us. 
And so, you know, we're trying to answer this question and we move into the realm of truth and knowledge and philosophy. And there's a lot of people that are trying to answer this question. Why are we here? How do we see the world? Where are we going? And really, that's what Jesus is doing here in the passage. But sometimes people try to answer questions, you know, from a naturalistic worldview, and they might see, like, if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. There are people out there, and oftentimes we get sucked into that world as well. Modernity has, t- has taught us that, you know, reason is, is the God of the day. You can think yourself through anything, and so if you can, well, maybe that's how you should do it. And then post-modernity said, well, maybe there is truth that you can understand, but like, how are we going to find it? Truth is relative, and, and, and that's how a lot of people are trying to understand our world today through all these different lenses. How you see the world matters, How you see spiritual matters matter. How you encounter Jesus matters. And so Jesus in the passage here is doing exactly that. And so let me quote for you right in your your notes. The English poet William Blake, he said this. He said, This life's dim windows of the soul distorts the heavens from pole to pole and leads you to believe a lie when you see with not through the eye. So through the eye is how you process and understand information, not just seeing it, not just being sucked in by the tantalizing kind of like treasures and pleasures of the world. Even the Bible describes the eye as this window to the soul or consciousness. First John uh, 2, 16, you know, talks about the lust of the eyes. There's something, this connection between our eyes, how we see the world, but then how we process through our own souls. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes, he said, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Or this, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. And so there's this clear connection between what we see and our heart, and really that's what we're going to flesh out today. And so I ask you, what are you seeing What are you seeing in your world, and how do you engage with what you see? What are you you taking in about God and your surroundings, other people? And do you allow these things to draw you away from God, or do you allow them to draw you to God? Because how you see really does matter. In the context, you'll notice, let me just flip over if you want to flip over with me to uh, Luke eleven sixteen, which we dealt with last week, you'll see in the context that Jesus is really answering this question from these people that are coming. He says, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign for heaven. And so Pastor Austin dealt with that section uh, about the demon in Beelzebul. You can listen to that. And we're going to pick up at 29 to 36. The crowds are increasing. Uh, There's people coming to answer these questions, and Jesus first really mentions, and he says, it's an evil generation. It's 
kind of a harsh word, you might think, and you, you, we think about our world and all the evil that is out there today, but Jesus isn't referencing here the world and all that it's in it, and it, it obviously has you know, clear issues and clear lack. What he's referencing are the Jewish people of the day. He's mentioning their lack of faith, their lack of sight for not seeing what God was doing through Jesus. And so, you know, if you think about this current generation, the first century Jews, they were religious, they were moral, they were, you know, they believed that they were superior to all of the Gentiles. They were a part of this honor-shame culture. This would have been a huge rebuke of the day to have a, a, a rabbi stand up and to say, like, you're an evil generation. Be like, well, us? Be like, we're doing good. Like, like we're, we're doing really good. I'm wearing a jacket, you know? Like, and, and so you, you have this, this truth here. And so in the context, which we're going to jump into, 29 to 32, you see that, you know, there's a Gentile woman who responds. There's a Gentile city that responds to the message. And Jesus is telling them that there's these two groups that are outside that have responded better than you have. And it gives us pause. It gives us pause because how we respond, how we see the world, how we engage with truth matters. And so Jesus says that there's no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. The Pharisees were seeking after a sign, and even in the direct context, you might even say that the sign that they were trying to get was like, prove you're not of the devil, Jesus. Prove it. Prove it again. And if you remember from last week, he had just healed a, a demoniac, and this mute man began to speak. And so you kind of, it, it's a little confusing because you have this idea that how can the mute man and all these healings happen and they're missing it? Because even in Luke, we're in Luke 11, we're going to continue to, you know, through that. There's four more healings in the gospel of Luke. And so you can't ask yourself like, well, I guess Jesus isn't going to heal anymore because they asked for a sign and there's no more signs given. Well, no, there's a, 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 he heals a woman with a spirit in Luke 13, a man on the Sabbath in Luke 14. He heals 10 lepers in Luke 17 and a blind beggar in Luke 18. And so there's something going on here that it's not just about the healing and it's not just about what's, what's the sign that's given, but it's that their, their hearts have missed the point of Jesus. Jesus is right there in front of them and they can't see it. In a connection, uh, you know, parallel kind of passage in the Gospel of Matthew, I want to read for you Matthew 13 as he quotes this, this, this situation on their blindness, it says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. And so we look for signs, don't we? we? We look, but we sometimes can't even see the things that God, are, God is doing right in front of our faces because we miss the fact that the sign is already given. The sign is Jesus. 
I mean, it's a simple message this morning. The sign is Jesus. Or if you state it negatively, which I think can be helpful, when we seek for a sign, we're rejecting the sign that's already been given. You know, there's, there's all kinds of visuals in the kingdom of God. I was talking with, with Tobias, and he was just reminding me that, you know, in, in the early Old Testament time period, there are all kinds of visuals. They followed a God, right, who had a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. They had smoke from the offerings constantly, you know, raising up into the heavens, the burning of the incense, the thousands and thousands of sheep that would be coming into, you know, to be... To be sacrificed. And so there, there's all these visuals of the kingdom of God and what he was doing. And so seeing is not really the big issue, is it? It's not wrong, but it's if you're seeing and you're missing it. And so Jesus in John 20 said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There is a belief that has to take root in our souls as we transform. What should you do as a modern person as you come in contact with the living God? You read his word. You connect with the saints. What does that mean? What do you do? What is your heart like? How do you transform? How do you change? How does it change the way that you live your life? So in 29 to 32, Jesus being a master master storyteller, he tells these two stories. And both stories, both examples, are responses to a sign or or God's truth and how the people should have followed. And so the messages are the same, and, and you'll see this in this cool way. And the first story is the story of Jonah. And so, for those of you, you have to put on your Sunday school hat and remember the story of Jonah. Jonah was called to preach, right? It says that God said, the, the Ninevites, it says, their evil has come up before me. And so Jonah was supposed to go to, the, to Nineveh to preach, but he didn't want to go. And so he ran. He runs from God. He, gets, uh, he goes in the exact opposite direction. God pursues him, sends a storm, and the storm comes, and, and the people in the boat are freaking out. And so Jonah's like, hey, you know, it was me. They cast lots. Yes, it's me. It's, a, you know, God. And so they throw him in the water, and poof, the storm's calm. And the storm is calm, and, G- and, and Jonah, you know, sinks to the bottom. Jonah says that, like, you know, he, he even, he, like, touched the algae, and, and boom, a great fish swallows Jonah up. And he's kind of three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Think about that. That's incredible. That's incredible. And so he's three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Jonah says this, in, in chapter 2, verse 7, he said, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And so, as you will, I encourage you to you know, read Jonah. It's only four chapters later today. You know, Jonah's got his own issues, doesn't he? But what he does have is a change of heart, and he goes in the direction 
And Matthew adds to this kind of this story. It says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so what Jesus is doing is he's making a, a connection, a parallel. He's saying, just like Jonah went to Nineveh and they responded, I, the Son of Man, came to this generation but they didn't respond. That's the message that he's saying. The Jews are looking for a sign, but they really missed the sign that was right in front of their face. They missed their moment. Jesus' call is to repent. Ultimately, we know, you know Jesus proves his message through the resurrection. Three days, he was in the grave, and he rose from the dead. And so, okay, so you have this story of Jonah and Nineveh. And then the second is a little bit less known. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 10. And it has to do with the queen of Sheba. Or in the ESV, it says, the queen of the south will rise up. And you're kind of wondering, okay, who is the, this queen of the south? And, and this story in 1 Kings 10 is this amazing story of this wealthy, powerful woman who is in Sheba, which is modern-day Yemen. So think of the Arabian Peninsula all the way south. She makes this long journey from, uh, from Sheba to Israel to meet with Solomon. And as, he, as she meets with Solomon, she asks, she, you know, she had heard of his, his wisdom and his grandeur and the kingdom. And so she asks all kinds of questions and asks and, and seeks and, and he, asks, he answers everything well to the point where she actually, then, she actually then gives praise to the Lord because of that. You know, there's these contrasts in the passage is, is what's happening. So in the first, you have Jonah to Nineveh, just like the Son of Man to this generation. And this one's very similar. You have the queen. She travels a long distance, and she, you know, she goes to Solomon and responds well. But the contrast is the Jews are right in front of Jesus. He's right there with, with him, but they don't respond to the one who's greater than Solomon. That's the contrast in the passage. And so she's greatly commended. This, this queen of the south is greatly commended for her search. Imagine how long it would have taken her to do that. And her response to that search is that she gave praise to the living God. I just kind of wonder, like, what does your search for Jesus really look like? Is it, is it vigorous? You know, is it life-giving? What have you done with your search? Because how we see the world and how we engage with that world matters. Here's the takeaway. The takeaway from 29 to 32 is this. Just as the queen praised God because of the glory and the wisdom of Solomon, we are to praise the one who's greater. He's right there. It's Jesus. Just as the Ninevites repented at the preaching of Jonah, we are to repent before the one who is greater. Now I said, you know, there's different themes in the book of Jonah, and one of them is just the poor attitude and the poor outlook that Jonah had when he saw the Ninevite people. You know, you could say that his eyes towards the Ninevites 
It was not good. It was bad. It was bad. And so Jesus, I think, using some of that, then takes verses 33 to 36 to use this saying about the lamp and the light and the eye and how you see. This whole section might seem, you know, disconnected, but what it is really about is that how you see, what you look at, how your light and life is affected is going gonna, is gonna to be a huge determination about how you are engaging with spiritual things. And so, you know, the I in this context is how you view the story. And so Jesus illustrates what it means to see with those spiritual eyes. And the first is, you know, what is it, what is it like to be someone who sees? Jesus says you're going to be like a lamp that is put on a stand, right? It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to shine. Truth is going to shine. The lamp, as you know, is no use if it's obscured. If you take a lamp and you put a, a bowl on it or you, you, you know, you're like, it's dark at, at night, you lose power and you light a candle and then, you know, you take that candle and you put it in the basement. It's not going to help you. And so Jesus is saying, you know, your light and the life is going to be like that. And so we seek for light, but there's only one true light. It's the light from Jesus, the Messiah. It's really a really actually positive outcome for you and I because we get to engage with the life of Jesus and who he is with other people. One writer said it like this. You want to see with spiritual eyes. He said, Jesus has been placed as a light for all to see. We have an opportunity to see the Lord and, and transform then in verse 34, you have this real kind of difficult saying, and I want to read it because it is kind of, it, it, at first glance, it, it doesn't make clear sense. It says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Now again, if this is a disconnected saying, it might be confusing, but because we understand that this is all about how you see, it's all about how you view the story. In, in the original languages, you know, this eye is this idea of, of health or singular focus, simple focus. And so we need to ask ourselves the question then, how do you see? Do you see singularly? Do you see focused? Or are you all over? Do you see the world like Jonah saw the Ninevites? And he was like, nah, like I, I, I'm not having a piece of that. I don't even want to go there. What lens do you see the world or Jesus? Or make it more simpler, in what, in what eye, in what way do you see your neighbors, your coworkers, the people that you're with? Like, Do you understand the story of God and how seeing that affects your life and affects your lamp for all to see. Where's your heart in the midst of the search? The passage makes clear how you see depends on what you, leave, you believe about Jesus. That's really the crux. How you see depends on what you believe about Jesus. One writer says this, Jesus' teaching like the rays of a lamp, entirely illumines the person and brings spiritual health. There's an outpouring of light that should come from the person who follows Jesus. The eye is this window to the soul. That's why, you know, William Blake says it matters 
to see like through the eye into the soul than just with the eye because we're so easily distracted. Matthew, in his parallel of the passage in Matthew 6, he uses this by directly connecting it to storing up treasures in heaven, which is really a, a very similar passage or theme in our passage. So it's seen, right? It's storing up, it's seeing it. It's running after the things that are most worthy and most important. And so Matthew highlights money. You know, though, you know, Jesus is using the eye as the body part for this analogy, it's clear he's also referencing the heart, the eye and the heart. The eye and the heart. Jesus isn't interested in blind guides. He's not interested in people, you know, who go through the motions but aren't really living it on the inside. Right? He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He connects it. What's worthy? What's your life really going to be like? You know, you might be, I meet all kinds of people, and, and you know you meet all kinds of people in your life. There might be people in your life that are difficult to be around. Maybe some who are real negative and have a negative view of people, a negative view, seems like all the time. And, and I would ask you, and I would say, maybe you need to look at that. Maybe you need to think about that differently. You know, we have cup half-empty people, and we have cup half-full people, right? You know, you know those people. And, and maybe we need to change and be a little bit more like David, who says, my cup overflows, right? Perhaps we can transform the way we look at it and realize that God has given us immense you know, grace and life and light, and we can share that with other people. So following Christ together will make our whole, our lives wholly captivating and different. The one who has the light of Jesus also has shining that comes from him. And so the sign, you know, you know they're seeking for a sign. The sign given is Jesus, and they miss it. They wanted a sign, and they missed the eternal one right in front of their face. And so we see Jesus. What are we supposed to do? If we see Jesus and we hear the gospel story, the clear response is repentance. If we understand who we are and what we've done, then we repent, and we surrender, and we worship. I don't know about you, but I am... Not always the best at being quick to repentance. You know, I, I want to be. I, I, I want to be, but I mean, I even think about how I can justify, how I can wait, how I can say like, oh, I can do that later. And so I think Jesus' call here is to say, be quick, be, have soft hearts, see well. I know as a young person, I was a notorious uh, waiter, you know, I just, just waited. So if you're a young person, uh, don't wait. Hear the gospel. Hear the truth of God and repent and change and transform. There's no time like the presence. Present. You know, even, even Jesus in, in this metaphor is using darkness. And it's a really interesting metaphor that Jesus uses a, light, a, a lot between light and darkness. I, I was just thinking about darkness and I think about nighttime and I thought, you know, if I could take back 
all of the sins that I committed in the darkness, like from, let's just say from like midnight to 6 a.m., if I could take back all the, the things that I've done horribly wrong during that time period, I'd save myself a lot of hurt. And I think you would too. And so Jesus calls us to reject the darkness, right? And to embrace the light, come into the light. Often in the Bible, that is, that's about repentance. It's about sharing. It's about being open. I love this phrase from Daryl Bach, the commentator. He says, you can't trust Jesus and reject his call to repentance. You can't. And so even for us who've been walking with the Lord for a long time, we do so with soft and gentle hearts. We ask forgiveness to our kids when we screw up or from our spouse, or from a coworker, Even if it's something little, you say, I'm sorry. You repent, you change, you go a different way. And so Jesus is seeing these two groups. You have the Ninevites, you have the Queen of the South. And both of these groups, it's like, so really, like, what was the connection between the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba? And here it is. It's that, that they both heard the message, and they believed. They repented. Repentance is the response. So each one of us must look at the way our hearts respond to the things of Jesus, either with a softness and a gentleness, or it will turn into a hardness and a stubbornness. But Jesus is making clear that graciousness is on display. Both of these groups, including even to us today, have the call to repentance. As Jesus is sharing, the call is to say, we have an opportunity to repent. We have an opportunity to surrender. Both of them saw and responded that there was something greater going on in Jesus. Okay, so what? Right? Maybe you've... Uh, came here today, your family brought you, maybe you're brand new to Providence and you don't yet trust in Jesus. What, what, what do you do? Consider the life and ministry of Jesus and his call to repentance. Someone greater is here and his name is Jesus. There's no other sign needed. There's nothing else you need to see. Trust in the Lord. Now, I will say, ask good questions, ponder, wonder, but then it will cause us to repent and surrender. For the members of Providence, maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, it's interesting that here, the only imperative in the whole passage is in verse, verse 35. He says, be careful, be careful. And so I would want us to heed that Imperative. Let's be careful. One of the most upright generations of the day, they missed Jesus. They, they knew what they were doing. They had the word of God, but they missed Jesus. There's a great call to follow after the Lord Jesus and to live in obedience to him. So let's do it together. Some days I imagine living just a life of repentance and renewal and transformation, and that's what God offers to us. I don't think it's an accident that, you know, the six pillars of following Christ together are all laid upon the foundation of repentance. So let's do that together. 
Here, here it is. Here's the key point. If you're searching for a great sign, search no longer. Hear, repent, believe, and follow after Jesus. He's greater. He's the one worth seeking after. He is worthy of our pursuits. So let's pursue him together. Why don't you join with me as we pray? I'm going to pray a section from a little prayer book called The Valley of Vision to guide our time. I am blind. Be thou my light. Ignorant, be thou my wisdom. Self-willed, be thou my mind. Open my ear to grasp quickly thy spirit's voice and delightfully run after his beckoning hand. Melt my conscience so that no hardness remain. Make it alive to evil's slightest touch. Fill me with peace that no disquieting worldly gales may ruffle the calm surface of my soul. By thee, all heaven is poured into my heart, but it is too narrow to comprehend thy love. I was a stranger, an outcast, a slave, a rebel, but thy cross has brought me near, has softened my heart, has made me thy father's child, has admitted me to the family, and has made me joint heir with thyself. Oh, that I may love thee as thou lovest me, that I may walk worthy of thee, my Lord, that I may reflect the image of heaven's firstborn. May I always see thy beauty with the clear eye of faith and feel the power of thy spirit in my heart for unless he move mightily in me, no inward fire will be kindled. Oh, Lord, we need you. We need you. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen.